0: Shalom and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Christopher Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. Thank you for tuning in. For today's program we're going to talk about a recent article I've put together for Watch Jerusalem and this one is on the subject of archaeological evidence for biblical names. Now it's it's a classic question in biblical archaeology. Can this Biblical individual be verified, be proven, you could say, through archaeological means. And in the past couple of hundred years of archaeological discovery, uh, a lot has been discovered, a lot has been yielded up, a lot of evidence uh, proving different biblical figures. And so far, uh, uh, depending on whose analysis you you look at, roughly over 50 people described in the he- Hebrew Bible have been confirmed through pretty stringent analyses. and then uh, there's there's around 15 more probables, probable uh, biblical figures that need just a little bit more evidence to absolutely confirm uh, their their account from the archaeological record. So for this program though, I, I intend to focus not on the people but simply the names. Now, much debate rages over over whether or not a certain discovered name matches a specific biblical individual, and many factors have to line up for this. But what about just the names? The Bible is full of names for different people of different periods, and so if archaeology can corroborate names for the right periods, then that would serve as proof in its own right of the accuracy of the biblical record. So, let's go through the biblical names, proof of the more generic biblical names. Now, it 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 makes sense to start off with the very first man in the Bible, Adam. Now, no archaeological proof of his existence has yet been found, of course, but what simply of this name? Surely, such an important and central individual's name would have been used in very early ancient history. And that it was. The name Adam is attested to on a couple of very notable early histories. One example is on the Assyrian king list. This list is known to have been originally compiled around 1800 BC, so nearly 4,000 years old. And this name is listed in a slightly different Assyrian form as Adamu, Adamu uh, the second ruler of Assyria. So, while nothing is known of his reign, it's speculated that he was on the scene around 2400 BC. So, so nearly 4,500 years old, uh, this guy, Adamu, um, the, the Assyrian equivalent to Adam, essentially. So, the Assyrian king list clearly proves the name to be among the earliest in history. And then further evidence of the use of Adam can be found in Egypt, among its pantheon of gods. Now, this specific god was worshipped very early in Egypt's history, around uh, 2500 BC, if, if not earlier, so, so potentially a little bit earlier than this Adam from the Assyrian king list. And according to the Heliopolis creation myth, uh, Egypt had quite a few different creation myths, but according to this one, the Heliopolis creation myth, myth, he was known as the first God and living being, and his name, atom A-T-U-M, as it is transliterated. So this, uh, as they say, first being, he, according to the myth, uh, emerged from a chaotic state of darkness and a primordial watery abyss. And of course, this brings to mind Genesis 1, uh, the biblical description of the world before the creation of man. Now, the biblical Adam's third son was named Seth. And it's pretty interesting, this Egyptian Adam's great-grandson was also a god named Seth. So again, here we have further proof for the authentic early nature of these names used in the Bible and paralleled in the archaeological record. Now, we we don't have time to go through all of this on this program again, Uh, There is an article on Watch Jerusalem that's just come out on the subject, so you can check out our website uh, to find out more about that. Uh, But there are, are a number of other early recorded individuals with either names that are parallels or near parallels to the earliest biblical figures. And these individuals include people such as Eve, Tubal Cain, Jubal, Javan, and Nimrod. But again, you'll have to check out our website for more information on that. But moving forward in history, we get to uh, we come to the age of the patriarchs. Now, the patriarchs have been a long point of con- contention for the critics. Neither Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nor their wives have been confirmed. Through archaeological discoveries, and according to an archaeologist and professor uh, William G. D- Dever, Dever, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Uh, he he writes that by the start of the 21st century, archaeologists quote had given up hope of recovering any context that would make Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob credible historical figures. End of quote. Now that's a pretty uh, dismal assessment of the of of the general archaeologist's uh, standpoint on these early patriarchs. Now, of course, to take that position is to ignore a whole slew of evidence backing up the biblical description of the patriarchal age. So, uh, sure, the individuals themselves haven't been confirmed. And when you think about it, we're, we're looking at a time period of 4,000 years ago, searching for for a group of people that were oftentimes very nomadic individuals, to, to find to find them specifically is going to be a challenge, to say the least. But pretty much the entire biblical setting of the early second millennium uh, patriarchal age has been shown to be accurate, right down to the laws, to the customs, to the clothing they wore, and even to the phraseology that they used. And you can read about more about that on our website, uh, we, we've got several articles on this subject of the patriarchal age, several uh, specifically on Abraham, and then our uh, culture, cultural universal series, uh, just going off the top of my head now. It's the, the one on marriage uh, that talks about this period and, and lays out even the phraseology, how archaeology has confirmed uh, the biblical phraseology used. So again, though, for the patriarchal age, something can be said for names. And we'll just look at Jacob here. Jacob is a well-known name of Semitic origin, and there is evidence linking the name to Egypt. Now, the Bible describes how Joseph became second in command under the pharaoh, after, after his extended family moved into Egypt, his father Jacob pronounced a blessing on the pharaoh. Uh, when Jacob died, he was mourned for, what was it, 70 days by the Egyptians. So Jacob was a very revered man uh, among the Egyptians. And so it would make sense to find some record of him, or at least of his name, as what we're uh, for what we're focusing on here in this program. Now, a number of archaeological excavations have uncovered 27 royal scarabs bearing the name Jakob Har, uh, and and Jacob, of course, is Jacob. Uh, jacob being the anglo anglicized form of this original name, now these Jacob par scarabs were found most notably in Egypt and in Canaan, showing a tie for this man to the promised land where of course Jacob we know lived for much of his life. so was this Jacob the same figure as the biblical Yakov jacob it 's probable the the Jacobb par scarabs haven 't been con- conclusively dated. But they could point to around Jacob's time or just after. Now, the har part at the end of the the name, Yaakov har, is a word meaning hill or mount or mountain in Hebrew. And this word as well in the Bible is connected with Jacob several times. There's a number of scriptures that go into that. We won't go into that on this program. Again, you can see the article Online. So the phrase thus would mean Jacob's Mount. Now, whether or not this is the biblical Jacob, these scarabs do confirm the early use of the important name, the patriarchal name, in both Canaanite and Egyptian contexts. Moving forward again, we get into the time of the Egyptian captivity and the Exodus. There's the name Moses. Now, Moses is one of the most significant figures in traditional Judaism. And critics blast the fact that this individual himself hasn't yet been discovered in archaeological context. But again, much can be said of the story's setting and even of his name. Now, according to traditional dating, Moses would have lived through the best part of the 15th century BC. So about, uh, what is that, 3,500 years ago. He was famously found floating in a basket, adopted by an Egyptian princess, and she named him Moses. Quote, because I drew him out of the water. That's Exodus 2 and verse 10. And as it turns out, Moses, or interchangeably Moshe, as he's known in Hebrew, or Mose, uh, Moses, Moshe, Mose. Uh, all, all the same, was an important. This, this was an important name element in royal Egyptian society, dating specifically to this time period, right around uh, the 15th century BC. Uh, was the was the primary use of this name element, Moses, Moshe, Moses So the name Moses means in Egyptian, born of. Again, just as the above quoted scripture infer, infers, born of water. Now Moses may have had a longer name to represent the full phrase, born of water. And this was the case with his contemporary contemporaries of this period, such as uh, Tutmoses, otherwise again known as Tutmos, Moses, Mose, uh both connected, both the same thing. Then you've got other contemporaries, such as Amos, Amenmos, Ramos, Kamos, Wajmos. So all of these names dating to the same period as Moses, contemporary with Moses. So when you look at it, it would only uh, it would only make sense for a princess of the royal Mose family to call her adoptive son by the same name. So again, another parallel, even though Moses hasn't been proven the the, the, bib, the specific biblical figure himself proven through archaeology, certainly the context has, certainly the name has. And uh, sticking with this time period, another famous individual during the period of Egyptian captivity was the midwife Shifra. The name Shifra also has been found documented on an Egyptian papyrus slave list. This list dates to about the early part of the Egyptian captivity, uh, captivity of the Israelites in Egypt around 1700 BC, and it's it's impossible to say whether this woman is the same one mentioned in the Bible, uh, mentioned in uh, Exodus one, Shifra, but it certainly proves the authenticity of such a name being used among the slave classes during the period period of uh, Egyptian captivity. And this list, uh, the Brooklyn papyrus, it's, it's on display in the Brooklyn Museum. This list also mentions the Hebrew name Menachem and also variants of the tribal names Issachar and Asher. All right, well, we'll take a short break there, but do stay with us. When we come back, we'll take a look at names discovered from the later years. This is Watch Jerusalem on KPCG.FM. This is Watch Jerusalem. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. If you're just joining us, we've been discussing how even generic, non-specific names discovered in archaeology help to prove the biblical account. Much debating rages over whether or not a certain discovered name matches a specific biblical individual. But what about just the names? The Bible is full of names for different people of different periods, and if archaeology can corroborate names for the right periods, then it would serve as proof in its own right of the accuracy of the biblical record." Well, we're up to the kingdom years in Israel's history. We've been through the early names. We've been through the patriarchal age. We've been through uh, the the captivity in Egypt, the exodus years, and we come now to the kingdom years. We have skipped over the judges' period. Again, this program is, uh, is based on an article that has gone up on watchjerusalem.co.il, our website. You can check it out there. Uh, So we don't have time to go through all these periods, so we've skipped over the Judges period, but you can read more about that online. So this period, the Kingdom Years, is a little different because so much has been discovered proving various biblical characters and the use of biblical names. Essentially, you can pick a biblical name from this period, and chances are it has been discovered in the archaeological record. Besides the generic names, a total of eight kings of Israel and six kings of Judah have been uncovered alongside numerous figures of lesser rank, and then many more are of a near-proven classification. And of course, this only makes sense. Uh, During this period, the the Israelites were well-established in their homeland, and thus excavations occurring within that land, within the pinpointed city sites, Uh, will readily produce names from this period. The especially tricky periods are generally those uh, when the Israelites were separated from the land. So, since so much has been discovered from this period, for this program, we're going to to skip over again these kingdom years. Again, you can read about it online in our article, Biblical Names Confirmed Through Archaeology. Uh, Instead, we'll cut straight to the post-exilic period, after the destruction of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And I do like going through these more difficult time periods, shall we say, uh, the, the Patriarchal Age, the, the, uh, the sojourn in Egypt period, and then the post-exilic period. It, it does provide more of a challenge uh, that, that the critics readily jump on, but then it is uh, very interesting to go through the evidence that does exist for, the, for these periods. So, this post-exilic period, after the destruction of Jerusalem around 586-585 BC, this can be seen as another difficult period for establishing these biblical figures. And still, even though the Israelites and the Jews were uprooted from their lands, a whole, a whole lot of evidence has been found pointing to just where they went and established themselves. Numerous tablets have been found relating to daily Jewish life in Babylonian captivity. Now, the most maligned post-exilic text, in fact, one of the most maligned books in the entire Bible, has to be the book of Daniel. This is primarily due to the, to the deeply prophetic nature of the book. And uh, you can read for you can read on our website watchjerusalem.co.il more detail about this book and all the evidence that does exist showing an original traditional dating of the writing before the prophecies took place. Now Daniel's three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were well known figures. Uh, are well-known figures. They they famously refused to obey King Nebuchadnezzar's demands to worship the golden image that he had created. And we all know the story. As a result, the king threw them into a raging furnace. And just as a side, furnaces have been verified as a Babylonian form of punishment. And then you look at the, the Medo-Persian time period. They threw. You'll remember they threw Daniel into a lion's den and that has been proven as well. Lions uh, were a Persian period, uh, Persian method of punishment. But back to these three friends. The three of them were joined in the furnace by a fourth being. Quote, the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Uh, end of quote. That's from Daniel 3, verse 25. And then Nebuchadnezzar called out the three men who emerged from those flames unharmed. Now, these, these three friends were given positions in the Babylonian government. And as such, it would make sense to find some kind of record of them, right, in the Babylonian uh, system, bureaucracy. Uh, now, a Babylonian prison, prism has been unearthed, listing a number of officials who served during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. This list... As possible reference to all three of these friends. And even if they're not the same individuals, again, the point of this this program, the point of, of the article that this program is based on, is showing the accurate use of the more generic names, as well as the people who have been proven. Now, one of the names on the prism is Nabu. And this is a direct equivalent to the Aramaic name, Abednego, means exactly the same thing. Another name on this list is Hananu. This could be Shadrach, whose original name was Hananiah. Hananu, Hananiah. Uh, you'll, you'll remember these, these three friends had different names, and then they were changed to uh, more Babylonian names. Now, the third name uh, the third name is Mushalem Marduk. This is possibly Mishael, whose name was changed to Meshach. So, Mushalem Marduk. Now, what about the book of Esther? The two central figures in Esther are, of course, Esther and then Mordecai. These these names seem to be of pagan origin. Esther's original name was Hadassah. Now, Esther harkens to the Babylonian goddess Ishtar. And then Mordecai appears to be linked to the god Marduk. Esther, Ishtar, Mordecai, Marduk. So, uh, dating to the reign of Xerxes I, archaeology has found evidence of a number of royal courtiers by the name of Mardukah. Now, one of these could very well have been the same Mordecai, Mardukah, Mordecai, whom the Bible says served, did serve in some manner in the king's palace, and even sat in the king's gate. Uh, that's from Esther 2 and verse 19. Xerxes I is generally believed to have been the biblical king, Ahasuerus, who married Esther. Xerxes had a wife known as Amestris or Amestri. Now, the jury is still out as to whether this could have been the same woman as Esther. It is very possible, given the parallel element in the name Amestris, Esther, Estris, Esther, Ishtar, Mordecai, Mardukah, all evidence of of similar names used uh, accurately for the right period, accurately uh, depicting the biblical account. So, so far on this program, we've covered uh, only the names of various persons. Uh, There's more material about the post-exilic works of Ezra and Nehemiah, and uh, all the all the evidence that corroborates the names of Sanballat, the Horonite, Geshem, the Arabian, Tobiah, the Ammonite. Again, you can look at our uh, article online. But what about God's names? These two have been seen clearly through the ancient texts. And if the Bible is to be our guide, the core names of God were present right from the foundation of the world, right from the beginning. But, given that the history of mankind is almost exclusively pagan, we we can expect to find those names corrupted or misappropriated in some form to various other deities. Again, though, the purpose of this article is to prove just the generic use of names. So, there are a number of uh, different names used for God in the Bible. One is... Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. This is sometimes translated as Yahweh or Jehovah. The the true pronunciation of this name has been lost uh, to history. But this name has been found on numerous early Hebrew artifacts dating to the kingdom period. And many of these, of course, refer to the true God, some referring to to a pagan deity, but many of which refer to the true God. Now, the earliest confirmed extra-biblical Semitic use of this name dates to about 850 BC, and this is on the Mesha Steeler. And it describes taking from the Israelites, quote, the vessels of Yahweh, or the vessels of YHWH. However, the the use of this name has also been found in much earlier uh, contexts in Egyptian hieroglyphic inscriptions used in reference to Semitic peoples. And these inscriptions date as early as the 1400s BC. And then you have other names, including similar parallels of El, E-L, and Yah, uh, Y-A-H, Parallels of these have been found dating to around this period, around the middle of the second millennium BC, around 1500 BC, or even earlier contexts. Now, the earlier uh, Akkadian word for, for the Assyrian god is generally transli- transliterated as E-A, Ya, which is very similar to the name of god, Y-A-H, Yah. So, again, an interesting link there. And as an interesting point from a, uh, a dating perspective, is a term for used for God in the book of Daniel. Again, many scholars try to date the book of Daniel as late as possible in order to avoid his prophecies about the uh, different empires. But one of the proofs of an earlier date for the book of Daniel uh, is his use of the term Lord of Heaven. Now, there's a whole lot of, of other proofs for the early nature of the uh, book of Daniel. You can read that on our website, on the antiquity of the, the scriptures, the writings. Uh, but, but one of the proofs for an early date for Daniel is his use of the term Lord of Heaven. And here again, evidence speaks to the authenticity of the biblical record. This name was only used for God during earlier periods, such as when Daniel would have been uh, on the scene writing his book, 6th century B.C., and this name actually fell out of use during the later Maccabean period, which is when the many scholars try and place the book of Daniel. And this is because this term, Lord of Heaven, uh, had come to be associated with the pagan Greek god Zeus. So in this program, we've only touched on a, on a small number of personal names. Again, there are many more in our online article. And we, we've looked at how, even though these names don't prove a certain individual, they still, in their own right, prove the authenticity and accuracy of the biblical account, showing accurate settings, time periods, and exactly the same process could be applied to place names, as well as to the early tribes and civilizations. The thing is, when, when it all boils down to it, the search for biblical accuracy is so narrowly focused among the scholarly world, so hyper-specific, that that often researchers simply, you could say, can't see the forest for the trees. Context is all too often ignored or undervalued. But evidence for the biblical account is quite literally all around us, even in today's somewhat removed modern world. And even the the, uh, generic names play into this. So, these generic uh, names provide much evidence for the biblical account, the the Bible having been written in original contexts just as it describes. And at Watch Jerusalem, we do have a series on the subject examining the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible, looking at the extant evidence for their traditional dating and authenticity in writing. I mentioned one of them earlier, but you can find them online, our series, The Antiquity of the Scriptures, the Torah... The writings and the prophets. So, the three series there on the antiquity of the scriptures. And for a wider look at the authenticity of the biblical account, please request our free booklet or you can read it online The Proof of the Bible. Well, that's all we have time for on today's program. Do keep up to date with our website, watchjerusalem.co.il, for all our new content on news and archaeology in Israel and in the wider Middle East. I'm also excited about a new article that'll hopefully go up on the website at some point in the future. This one is on the somewhat off-the-wall subject of childbirth. Now, the idea for this subject came to mind after, after I saw a BBC article on the subject. And this article was wondering why childbirth was so uniquely difficult for humans uh, as opposed to, to the wider animal kingdom. Given the fact, so to speak, that we've had millions of years to work ourselves out evolutionary, why is it so difficult for humans? New research has shown the traditional evolutionary reason for this to be essentially junk science. So to the believer, of course, the answer is plain, and it's found in Genesis 3. So keep a lookout for that article comparing childbirth according to evolution versus the biblical account. And then it looks at some fascinating archaeological discoveries that confirm a a whole lot of biblical history about childbirth. So again, hopefully that will be coming out in the near future. Well, again, that's all we have time for, so send any comments you have, any feedback to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. We do appreciate it. And until next time, shalom and take care.